Let's now take our Bibles and open God's holy word to the book of Proverbs in connection with what we will be looking at this afternoon from James chapter 1 where it connects joy and trials through the word wisdom. We'll look at Proverbs chapter 2 this afternoon as our reading and we'll read the verses 1 through 15. This passage mentions wisdom a number of times and those who were in catechism from the years 1992 to 2007 will know that wisdom is knowing where you have come from and where you are going. And if you don't remember that, there'll be a discussion after church. Hear now the word of our God, Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, Discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths. Now let's turn to James chapter 1, and the text for this afternoon will be the verses 5 through 8. And in order to keep it in the context, let's start reading at verse 1 again. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And here starts the text. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So far. After the sermon, we will sing in response 
hymn 35, the stanzas 1 and 4. theme for the sermon is the Holy Spirit's further instruction on how we are to accept trials. And we'll look at two things. We are to pray for wisdom and be unwavering in faith. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, when the gospel of salvation takes hold of us, it radically changes and transforms how we think, speak, act, and react. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, discovered this for himself in a real and living way. He views himself as a servant of Jesus and a brother to those Christians to whom he writes. What he has in Christ changed him to the very core of his being. And James wants his readers to know that the radical, transforming power of faith in Jesus must change all of us, also in how we react to trials, troubles, and tribulations. The afflictions we face do not destroy us, but prod us out of our security and test the genuineness of our faith and our trust in the Lord. God sends these things our way so that we stop focusing on the here and now and fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Difficulties and hardships come upon every disciple of Jesus in one way or another. And that's in order to shape and form us for God's glory. So when the Lord strips away your earthly securities He does it so that you might find fullness of joy in Christ. He places you under the sharp edge of his surgeon's knife so that through the operation of the Holy Spirit, he might heal you of all your diseases. He makes you feel the burden of your guilt so that you might see the infinite value of his grace. Trials teach every child of God to cling to the Lord, to believe that He is faithful and goes with us through the good and the bad. In fact, the Lord carries us through the most desperate situations. Trials are never meaningless, but designed to produce a persistence of spirit that holds on under pressure while patiently waiting God's time. The Lord tests our faith to produce endurance for greater service in Christ's church and kingdom so that we may be complete and lacking in nothing. And as we know, sometimes all too well, trials can be excruciatingly difficult and can totally change the course of our lives. Severely tried saints are often extremely tired saints. And though they are convinced that in the end good will come out of all their afflictions, yet for the present they may be exhausted and be at their wit's end. 
Sometimes it can be very difficult for us to see any good in trials. It's one thing to know that God works all things for good, but it is quite another to put this into practice for His glory. And to do so in the nitty-gritty of life when pain is piercing and almost unbearable and we feel sick to the pit of our stomachs. And sometimes even so bad like our heart is being ripped out. How can we count it all joy when we are met with trials of various kinds and our anxiety just climbs through the roof? Sometimes it may not appear to be remotely realistic to say, how shall I not keep singing? How can I be encouraged or told to say this when my heart feels heavy, stressed, and sad? Joy and trials. Those two seem as far removed from each other as the east is from the west. How can those two be connected? And the only way is when we insert a connecting word, the word wisdom. And this is where James takes us in the verses of our text. He's not changing the subject. In verse 5 when he says, if any of you lacks wisdom. But he takes his readers one step further. It is the wisdom of God that connects joy and trials. Here's the point that is being made. Only the wisdom of God enables me to connect the dots. To link joy and trials and the realities they express. Only the wisdom of God allows me to taste and see that the Lord is good even when I least expect it. Jesus, who is my wisdom, gives me joy because through trials, he allows me to grow as I learn to see more clearly his gracious purpose. Now I'm sure that all of you are well versed in scripture and therefore will know that wisdom is essential to live before the face of the Lord. But especially when we are confronted with situations and circumstances that threaten to throw us off course. Wisdom teaches us to see the present in the light of God's work in the past and His gracious purposes for the future. It helps believers see things within the bigger picture of God's plan. And every time, brothers and sisters, that we say wisdom, we can insert Jesus Christ because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Wisdom gives you the strength to keep yourself from getting embroiled in the past or present and to look to the Lord for direction into the future. Wisdom. Jesus has no room for human opinion but turns our attention to the Father in the realization that Christ is busy with something that is much bigger 
than what, than what is going on in my immediate circumstance. And wisdom also involves a very special way of thinking and speaking about God as the one who supplies us with all that we need to persevere. And you may request such wisdom from God in the knowledge that he will give it freely, generously, graciously, and not begrudgingly. That's his promise. And notice the extent of the Lord's promise. James writes, if any of you lacks wisdom. And that means that any child of God can come to the Lord asking for wisdom. Sometimes we will say things like, oh, they need a lot of wisdom to deal with that situation. But the truth is, we all need a lot of wisdom to deal with every situation. Part of our witness to a world filled with suffering is to let others know that there is a way of connecting joy and trials. We don't have the resources for coping with life within ourselves, but in the Lord and in His Word. And what we have in the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We all lack the wisdom we need. And so we need to pray and ask for it in the certainty that only Christ Jesus can give what we lack. Trials are intended to drive us to God, to depend on Him, and to seek our life outside of ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And praying for wisdom also allows us to respond properly to whatever is sent upon us in this veil of tears. James encourages us to see who the Lord is. He gives wisdom to those who ask in faith. Now maybe you have a hard time viewing God that way. You've approached him so many times before and it didn't appear to change anything. So now you're content to retreat even as you try to cope with the adversities of your own life and do so on your own. Maybe you view yourself as entirely unworthy of God's grace. You are ashamed to ask Him for anything until you have made some, some progress in your life in getting your life back in order. Well, to all of this, James tells us to ask God because God's nature is to give. And remember during such times the wisdom of the Lord that he revealed so powerfully at the cross of our Savior. There at the cross, the Lord opened the way to the throne of his grace because it was there that my sins were paid in full by Christ, who is my wisdom. James, as an instrument of the Holy Spirit, instructs us not to lose hope, but to keep praying, keep asking for wisdom, to deal with what is placed before us, knowing where we have come from and where we are going. Now, what he is saying is as simple as this. When you go through a trial, the place 
to turn is to God. I'm not told to come with my report card in hand. As the hymn states it, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I ask for wisdom, trusting that God will give me what I need graciously and generously in the hour of my affliction. He will give from his storehouses, from the storehouses of his resources. And when he gives, I will never be in want. When Christians go through troubles, their first response is often to run to some, some other human resources. Now that can serve a purpose, but it should never be an end in itself. Running to friends or family, going for counseling, reading books and articles, looking for some help through blogs and shared links that can be of benefit, but only if such resources direct you to the wisdom of God, to what you have received in Christ. The Lord uses people as his means to help each other, but watch out if they are directing you to the philosophy and the wisdom of man. True wisdom comes from the Lord and from his word. One of the greatest promises given to a believer is that the Lord gives wisdom to those who ask in faith. God gives it to those who trust he will provide. And therefore, brothers and sisters, ask for the wisdom to see God's purpose in trials so that you may come through trials strengthened in faith. When the godly Stephen stood before a mob of angry and contentious men, they sought to argue with him in order to silence him. But Luke records, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And what was that wisdom? Stephen turned to the scriptures to demonstrate how throughout all the Old Testament they spoke of Christ who is our only hope. So there we have it. No matter who we are or how many sins we have committed, we must ask God to provide us with wisdom. Many times we get down and disappointed because we lack wisdom but have not asked God for it. We pray, but we're not asking God for those very things that we need. The heart of the Lord is filled with generosity and he will supply you richly with what you need in the face of trials because of your union with Christ. He sees you not in yourself, but what you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you are confronted with trouble and trials, go to God in prayer. And as you pray, remember this, 
Receiving the wisdom of God does not mean that you will understand all things perfectly. How can you? When the Lord with so many threads is weaving together his plan and purpose in your life and in his church. It's not all clear to us. But you and I may never fully understand in this life God's purpose for trials. But with the wisdom of God implanted in our hearts, we fight bitterness and anger. And we trust that the Lord God knows what's best. Brothers and sisters, our God holds back nothing. He gives liberally, generously, without reservation. He never says, well, have it your way. I shouldn't be doing this for you, but out of the goodness of my heart, I'm going to grant you what you want, and I hope you appreciate it. No, the Lord promises to give the wisdom needed to help a believer persevere through trials. Has he not promised to give us all things freely and fully through Christ Jesus? But let's move on. In verse 6, there's a condition added. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Praying to the Lord for wisdom, you must believe that the Lord alone has the power to help you through every situation. You are to ask in faith without doubting disputing or debating. You are to believe that the Lord is not feeding you with some idealistic outlook on life when he tells you to consider it, count it all joy when you meet various trials. Oh, our sinful hearts want to argue with the Lord about why he acts the way he does. And that argument may be contained to our thought process, but may also manifest itself in the way we act. We certainly get that way, don't we, when a trial disrupts our tranquil and peaceful lives. You and I don't want trouble and anxiety interrupting what we are doing. No fun at all. Quite frankly, it's a nuisance. Now we have to understand that the Lord is under no obligation to explain the exact reason for a particular affliction and trial. If something in life doesn't pan out the way we'd like, that's no reason for debate with God or rebellion against Him. We must approach the Lord convinced that He knows best and with a prayer that he teach us to accept his will and his purpose right in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And what we need to keep in mind is, as well is this. Through trials, our faith in him will be stronger than it ever could have been if we had not endured trials. Doubting God Doubting his ability to help 
or his purpose in trials, that's what sends us into a sea of uncertainty. James says, a person who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Periodically, we are assaulted with doubts that stem from insecurity or a lack of assurance. But we may not fuel those doubts. Let them fester or encourage them to grow by by challenging what the Lord has ordained for our life or making conclusions that have no biblical basis. We need to tell ourselves off. For example, we should never say, oh, the Lord is doing that to me because he hates me. He wants me to go to hell. We know before we say those words that we are uttering nonsense, don't we? There's no basis for such statements. In fact, the Lord sends trials upon us to prepare us for heaven and for the new earth. Verse 7 and 8 sums it up where things are at with one who doubts and is unstable. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A double-minded person is a person who desires God, but deep down, he wants his own way. Literally, literally, such a person is double-souled. Such individuals are not satisfied with the Lord and His ways and are therefore unstable in all they do. They remain restless until what is double is united into one so that they have a single-minded trust in the Lord. Those who are double-minded are tossed around by the waves of doubt. When things are going well, they ride the waves and they conclude, He loves me. But the moment things get stormy, the double-minded conclude, He loves me not. And so they're tossed back and forth. He loves me, He loves me not. He loves me, He loves me not. And what's worse Such double-minded people are suggesting that God himself cannot be trusted. That there are indeed times when he loves me and other times he doesn't. That there are times when he is clearly in control and other times where he needs a helping hand. To receive wisdom from the Lord calls for an undivided heart a single-hearted devotion to Christ and His service. So throughout our whole life, there is no middle ground between faith and doubting. In chapter 4, verse 8, the Apostle James calls the double-minded person to repentance. Draw near to God, he says, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. Beloved, you and I must trust completely in the Lord and believe the work of Christ encompasses our entire life.
Again, in the words of another hymn, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When darkness veils his lovely face, I'll rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy day, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Indeed, in Christ alone, I have the certainty that God is always for me. Did he not display the greatest act of generosity at the cross? He gave Jesus. Even though we did not ask for him in faith, he sent him through the greatest trial of God-forsakenness so that our joy should be complete. And knowing what he was willing to give for our salvation, will he not give us all things in Christ? Is there any reason to doubt that he will provide us with all things in him? This afternoon you have heard the Lord's further instruction on how to accept trials. James helps us connect the dots. Well, let us believe with all our heart that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Yield your heart to Christ and have the confidence that he gives freely and gives exactly what you need to endure every trial. Jesus has the words of eternal life. And let me conclude in a similar way I did this morning, this time with the words of a 19th century Christian poet who wrote a piece called Workman of God. And part of it reads as follows. Workman of God, oh, lose not heart, but learn what God is like. And in the darkest battlefield, you shall know where to strike. O oh, blessed is he to whom is given the instinct that can tell that God is on the field when he is most invisible. God is indeed on the field. And even though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. It takes wisdom to believe this to be true. And it takes wisdom to understand the implications. Well, let us not doubt, but glorify God in the midst of trials with a single-minded affection. Amen.